Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 227 for the 13th of January, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here this week with a special guest uh, you may recognize if you've been listening to the Chat Chat podcast for a few years, my old friend Michael Argast. Michael's now the Director of Security Solutions at Talus, uh, a telephone company here in Canada, and uh, he's decided to make a few minutes to spend with us to cover this week's news. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks for having me, Chet. We're a little bit more than a telephone company these days, but uh, I think that gives people an idea of what we're all about. I guess you get an interesting perspective uh, as a communications provider, right? Because obviously your clients understand now that when they get a connection from one building to another, it may or may not be private anymore, right? There's there's a lot of security concerns about what can be intercepted and how do they protect their information from hackers or anybody else that may, in fact, uh, to be, be engaging and communicating with them. Yeah, security and privacy are certainly at the forefront of what customers are expecting from service providers these days. And uh, we're we're fighting the battle like everybody else, trying to keep our customers safe from hackers and other attacks. Kicking right off with that, I guess, for the news, uh, yesterday was Patch Tuesday. And I guess this is one of the more interesting Patch Tuesdays I've seen in a while. We, we haven't really been covering them much on the chat chat, but this week decided to cover it because IE, right? IE 8, IE 9, and IE 10 officially reached end of life uh, from Microsoft today. Upgrade or die? Yeah, and it's a little more confusing than that, of course, because there are some supported operating systems that don't support Microsoft's latest browsers. So if you're running Vista, you're still allowed to run IE9, I guess. And then if you're running like Server 2008 or Server 2012, you can still be on, I think, 9 or 10. Uh, So in essence, if it's a supported Microsoft operating system, you need to be on the latest Microsoft browser, which uh, for, of course, Windows 10 users would be Microsoft Edge or Internet Explorer 11 for Windows. Windows 8 and earlier. I, I I mean, I guess two things came to my mind on this. One was people still use Microsoft browsers. Yeah, about a third, I guess. It's still a substantial portion out there, especially in businesses, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because if you've ever tried to manage Firefox in a corporate environment, it's a bit of a mess. And that's been a longstanding complaint for uh, certainly open source enthusiasts because uh, it, it's very difficult to manage. And a lot of large enterprises have built these old school legacy Java apps that depend on IE and stuff like this. And they have a hard time moving off that stuff because they were built with budgets 10 years ago and they don't have the money to move and migrate. New new and small businesses typically don't have as much of a problem, but big businesses really struggle to move. Well, yeah, and this is this is what really concerned me today because really what this story should be titled is the death of ActiveX. I mean, ActiveX plugins, I don't believe are supported in any of the modern browsers that are now remaining from Microsoft, which is good because it kind of suggests that we can get back to building true standards-based applications and not be bogged down in vendor-specific stuff. But it also brings up this problem, right? Because now it seems to me all of my enterprise customers that have ActiveX-dependent applications either need to invest a ton of money in dumping all this legacy out of their environment and upgrading to modern stuff, whatever modern is, HTML5 or Flash, God forbid, or something, to replace ActiveX controls. But then if they don't, they're going to be forced to use unsupported browsers. And good luck getting users to go, oh, when you're using the corporate internet, you open Internet Explorer 8. And then, oh, when you want to browse the regular web and use see Chrome. crap videos, use Chrome. Or, like, nobody's going to do that. Whatever the thing is on their desk that does everything is the thing they're going to click. 
Yeah. And this is a great lesson of why we shouldn't build proprietary, non-standards-based stuff, right? Because you you end up digging this hole. Yeah. It's also an interesting opportunity and risk for cloud-based service providers. If you think about all these legacy applications, all the cloud providers are going to be jumping up and down going, well, don't build it yourself, migrate to me, which represents a whole new area of risk management and stuff that organizations are going to have to go through. Because usually these are small little business apps in one small corner of your business that you know, aren't even necessarily aware of or being considered by IT. And that upgrade cycle is is just not managed properly. We have those systems here at Sophos. I mean, we we're like everyone else, we all end up with these things in our environment, no matter how careful we are, unfortunately. But to me, this is a really strong signal that we do need to stay as much as possible between the lines and stick with standards because standards mean your security vendors have tried and tested approaches to how to evaluate those things, detect cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, whatever, you know, all these different things. Once there's some standards, we can establish tools, practices, procedures, protocols, all these things. And whenever you've got something that's a black box like ActiveX behind the scenes, in a, uh, makes it hard. Yep. So maybe there's sunshine on the other side of this well, and the other thing is web standards have finally matured to the point where a lot of the applications that depended on ActiveX can now be properly built and deployed, right? So be clear, Microsoft was filling a gap that existed in the standards back then. And so organizations were filling that gap with whatever they could. But yeah, it's not just the end of life for a bunch of versions for IE, but a whole bunch of enterprise applications. So it's going to be an interesting transition point. Certainly will. I guess if you have to run those old ones, uh, it's probably a good idea to you know try to virtualize them, sandbox them, lock them down as much as you possibly can. Uh, other news, uh, Comcast security fail. I, 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 you know, Comcast is a very confusing company to me. I mean, I'm a big advocate of uh, IP version six and some other things. And, uh, and I'm quite fond of the fact that Comcast has pretty much rolled out IPv6 across their entire cable modem infrastructure in the United States. And uh, it's really good for adoption. Yep. In this case, they have a home security product. Uh, in this, and I don't mean home security like you know Sophos Home. I mean things that monitor your windows for being open and your doors being open, and you know the panic button if the kids are home alone and they think a stranger's trying to get in, or you know this type of a service. Yep. And uh, kind of broke the first golden rule of building security anything, and that it fails open. Uh, <laughs> researchers discovered that you know, a little tinfoil over some Wi-Fi sensors, you know, breaks the communication, of course. And by breaking the communication, no alarms are triggered. Yep. I'm going to lay bets that um, when we look back a year from now on vulnerabilities and IoT type devices, home security devices are going to be near the top of the list on a lot of these vulnerabilities. I mean, it's just people are trying to roll out this technology. They're taking shortcuts. They're not thinking about things from a broad security perspective, and they're going to continue to screw up. Um, my favorite story on this is the uh, the VTech story, right? These are the people who lost all your children's personal information and now they're rolling out a home security product and uh, they'd probably be the last ones I'd trust to secure my home. Yeah, sadly, I think consumers largely don't hear these stories. I mean, we, we obsess about them in the security community and we go, oh my God, you know, how would anybody ever entrust company Y with information X ever again? But when you're standing, you know, at the electronics shop and you're looking at the shelf full of items and there's like seven different nanny cams that you can buy, you know, in or indoor, outdoor security camera systems and these types of things. You're looking at the price tag and you're looking at the brand and you're trying to go, do I know that brand? Uh, I don't know that brand. That, I don't like to trust things I don't know. I look for something I know. Oh, there's Netgear. I recognize that. Yep. And VTech, you know. is a bit of a known brand. Yeah, I mean, I had a VTech portable phone in the 1980s. That's what I remember them from. I didn't realize they made toys and other things. But, you know, that brand is something I've seen over and over again for many years. Therefore, if I saw it on a shelf, I would imply or it, that there's some trust there because, well, you've been around for 20 years. You're not fly by night. 
Yeah. I think the challenge is with IoT, though, is nobody's been doing it for very long. And we're going to go through a period of burn-in while everybody screws it up. Yeah, I've been buying a lot of these devices to play with. And I think I mentioned it in last week's chat chat. I, I've lost control of one of my smart light bulbs because my cloud gateway thing can't connect. And, you know, you get some really weird results from these things. And if you're interested in securing IoT devices and you're going to be at this year's RSA conference, please come by the Sofa stand. I'm going to be doing some demonstrations talking about different techniques you can use to protect IoT devices in your home from uh, being compromised and from introducing risk into your home network. The basic is just use a separate network for your IT devices, right? And keep it off from Oh, your... it's so much harder than that though. Yeah. It is. Uh, if you've ever played with a Chromecast, you go, oh, you know, with Chromecast, I'll put this on a separate thing so that it's not interacting with the rest of them. Oh, wait a minute. It uses broadcasts to find itself and it needs access to 8.8.8.8 and it needs its own NTP server in the magic Google cloud. And yep. like these things, unfortunately, uh, are as complicated as our smartphones when it comes to the the connectivity and firewall rules and things that they need. And um, kind of speaks back to the standards that you mentioned earlier. Good security standards in IoT are going to be very important for us. Yeah. And, and the standard at the moment seems to be rip off the cheapest Linux thing you can find that'll run on the chip that you decided to build your platform on and package it up and tie a bow on top and ship it. Anybody can start a Kickstarter campaign. So. Yeah. Um, so we got a couple crypto related stories. I always like to cover crypto. I guess there's a, a double edged one from the Netherlands. Yep. Uh, the fans of crypto, one of the few governments that are coming out and saying crypto is good. So I'm fans of the Dutch as a result of that. Well, keep in mind that the former director of the uh, NSA uh, has also come forward and said, no, 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 we should not be uh, trying to mandate back doors uh, or front doors as director Comey likes to call them. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, so good for the Netherlands to, to, to kind of come out and say, you know what, the, the benefit to our economy, our privacy and our, our society of encryption is such that we shouldn't be trying to undermine it, right? I mean, that's what I read into the story. Yep. But but they also at the same time, apparently their security services have broken BlackBerry's crypto. So So I mean, you know, do as we say, not as we do. I'm I'm not sure. Are they saying encryption's good because they know how to break it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, BlackBerry obviously has a bit of a, a complex story as it relates to crypto and backdoors with, you know, being in and out of Pakistan and other jurisdictions. But I mean, the police department obviously has a very different mandate from, you know, the broader public, you know, governance organizations, right? Um, in fact, if you look at most organ uh, most countries, it's really the police and the investigatory agencies that are pushing for crypto backdoors. It's not necessarily the regulatories. They're just kind of falling in line with the police departments. Uh, and while we're still on the crypto thing, uh, Let's Encrypt, which I'm a pretty big fan of. If you if you haven't heard of Let's Encrypt, we haven't talked about it, I don't believe, on the podcast before. Let's Encrypt.org. It's a consortium of tech companies and uh, privacy rights organizations that are making it free to get a TLS certificate, but not just that. Uh, the idea is also that it's very easy to get one because the, the, the complexities of encryption are where things mostly go wrong and people don't understand how to generate a certificate signing request and what to do with the private key and the public key, which you'd think would be kind of obvious because one's called private and one's called public. People screw that up all the time. People screw it up all the time. Um, the idea is that, you know, to make it as simple as running a command, uh, say on your Linux or Unix or Mac, and it automatically, you know, getting you a certificate, installing it in your web server, turning off HTTP and turning on HTTPS. And I think that's a great idea, but 
the the other shoe dropped, which we've been waiting for since they launched the service back in December, which is the first criminals started using it to encrypt malware traffic. And and this is becoming a really serious issue for security vendors because lots of people have uh, uh, depended upon network technologies similar to maybe you're familiar with OpenDNS or yeah. WebSense, uh, Bluecoat, and certainly some of the products we have here at Sophos as well, where it's like, hey, if we can sit on the network and see you communicating with a known compromised ad network, then we can just block that, right? But as soon as you go encrypted, we don't really know what's going on inside of that tunnel. And that information is going to, you know, be, your network devices are no longer able to keep that threat at the edge where yep. you'd rather have it. Well, I mean, you're kind of, you're making the police's argument here, right? Which is you want to be able to intercept communications where it meets your needs. But, you know, the bad guys are always going to find a way to use these technologies, right? Like now the question is, will they be able to use them well? Which kind of brings us to our next story. Well, yeah. I, well, and it's strange to me that, you know, I think about trying to keep threats at the edge and then Microsoft called their new browser Edge. edge. Another reason that I'm going to stick with Firefox and Chrome. <laughs> uh, but getting crypto right is hard. So I mean, I guess the story on Let's Encrypt was that they won't revoke the certificate. So the certificate right. is being used by crooks and they're saying, hey, we're not the internet police. Yep, not uh, our job. Not our problem. And unfortunately, I think that's going to create problems for a lot more of us because the, the criminals weren't willing to go through all the hoops necessary to, to get certificates to protect their communication before and now they can automate that through a public good guy if if reputation starts getting applied to certificates then that could be bad for people who can't necessarily afford good certificates certificates from other vendors it's it's an interesting start to a trend though i mean how far are we from you know just most web servers coming with encryption built in by default at the start, right? Like, it seems like we're not far from that point where at this point, a significant portion of web traffic overall is encrypted. And this is just going to continue to push that, which is, I think, generally a good thing for security. Yeah, I think we've been fortunate and lazy that most of the unencrypted traffic is all the bad stuff. And all the good stuff's been the encrypted stuff. All the good stuff's been the Facebook and the Google and the Gmail and the Dropbox. Yep. And all the bad stuff has been unencrypted. And it's just made our jobs a little easier. Sure. Um, like anything, I guess, with these things change. I mean, HTTP2 makes an attempt at opportunistic encryption every connection. Yep. And while it's possible to disable it, uh, again, you know, I can't imagine why we would. And I, I hear people complain about performance. And it shocks me to think that anybody thinks that they don't have enough CPU power to, to do encryption, uh, considering the amount of acceleration and the amount of spare cycles we have these days. One thing you don't get with a system like Let's Encrypt is necessarily uh, authenticity. So you you know the connection hasn't been tampered with and you know that the communication is a secret, but you don't really know who you're talking to. Yeah, there's no validation, which is... So it keeps the government out of your business, but it allows the criminals to impersonate your bank just fine. Yep. Lastly, there has been a, a rather interesting, and I've been following at least on Twitter, I'm sure that these conversations have been happening elsewhere on the internet, but there's some Linux ransomware, which uh, I, I think I wrote uh, some information about a few months ago. It was interesting to me. It's not very widespread. It's not an epidemic by any means, but maybe logically, uh, this Linux ransomware, of course, targets things like your web directory first as what it encrypts because it's assuming that it's in a server environment not a lot of desktop linux users if i'm going to you know uh, hold you for ransom i'm going to go for the var www folder and the var mysql and the you know this type of thing where you're likely having all of your user generated content uh, on a linux system but the first couple iterations they they messed up the crypto it's hard to roll your own crypto well yeah i, I don't think they weren't really i guess they were sort of rolling their own but i mean they were using some rather standard linux libraries to do the crypto the same as ransomware authors have done on on Windows, but they weren't really calling the functions correctly or they were using poor choices of random or <laughs> all the same mistakes we've seen legitimate app authors make over all and over, the time. And over again.
again. So it was amusing because every time these guys would release a new variant of this, one of the antivirus vendors was publishing a tool to decrypt the files without paying the ransom. We like these kind of bad guys, the kind of slightly malicious but not really competent, right? Yeah, well, and, and so the, the Gruck, who's a well-known exploit broker on Twitter, jokingly tweeted about this malware saying that they did it wrong and that they should use this code and, you know, crypt open paren m time, blah, blah, blah. And then the next iteration of the malware came out and actually implemented the code from his tweet. Which is just classic. <laughs> Which was still flawed. Oh, it turns out 140 <laughs> characters is enough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, learn from the criminals, kiddos. Uh, don't roll your own crypto and consult experts when coding things that need to be done securely. Yeah, All the news stories covering this, I guess, have raised the profile of this enough that other budding criminals may not make the same mistakes now. And Yeah, it seems like ransomware is certainly generating enough money for the bad guys that everybody and their dog is trying to pile on, right? And so a few of them have done it well, and that's why they were able to make so much money. And then a lot of them just can't get it right. But in general, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad scourge and we need to find ways to stop it. Well, thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks for having me, chat. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on our RSS feed. They're on iTunes. They're on the TuneIn app or over at soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.